your girl sylvia she her and hers what up it's tori she her and hers and we're back for a wonderful episode we're not even gonna like waste any time we're gonna get right into it we got a guest today uh guest on the episode royal harris royal would you like to introduce yourself to the folks hello hello folks my name is royal harris i am a original african-american oregonian born and bred here Love it here. I've uh, been a community member, community participant, involved in a lot of stuff for a long time. And I like to talk shit and have good conversations. So I'm happy to be here. Right on, right on, Royal. Um, so the reason why br- we brought you here, why we uh, hunted you down, stalked <laughs> you via the internet, <laughs> even though like, I mean, I gotta say listeners, Royal and I have met you know, we've, we, our paths have crossed before in different jobs we've done. So this is my first time meeting Royal. Um, but one of the reasons, the reason why we, we reached out to you is a mutual, a, a listener, actually, one of our listeners, one of our loyal listeners uh, sent Sylvia an article. And Sylvia, why don't you tell, uh, tell folks a little bit about that article? Yeah. So the article came from uh, one of our listeners um, and it was, uh, yeah, where is she? It was about the um, March uh, that you're having. And mm-hmm. because I don't have my text in front of me, can you tell us the name of the March? I don't want to it is it the, the official name is March Against Murder. That's right. And so she sent me the article and she was just like, um, you know, talking about it. And she was just, you know, like, hey, you know, check it out. And so I read the article and I really, um, you know, it was exactly what Tori and I have been talking about on the podcast, you know, when all these murders that at the hands of police officers or locals, um, you know, had well, I don't want to say even say have been popping off, but have we've been getting more and more aware? Media has been putting it out there mm-hmm. that these murders are happening, um, and so I was like, well, this is local for us, and it's because it's not just happening here in Portland; it's happening all over, you know, the United States, and it's been happening. So I wanted it to bring more a local lens to what's happening here. And this was just something that I was like, yes, this is going to give us a very local lens that people can better understand what is happening out there. Um, because you did mention this is one of the highest homicide rates right now that's happening since the 90s, 80s. Since 1993. This, yeah. And so... Um, I, you know, that's why I reached out and I was just like, we got to bring this uh, gentleman in and be able to talk to us about what, what's going on out there. What is he hoping uh, is to do? And, you know, what are your thoughts on it? So um, with that Royal, I'll let you go ahead and tell us, how did you get started with your journey on all? Oh, yes. Is that your daughter? (laughs) 
Wait, is that your daughter? You got to introduce her. Oh, let me get What about people? Say hi. Hi. So that's what happens in live TV. Exactly. That's what happens. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to make sure I plug in before I lose power. Okay. Okay. I know. I, I always have to do that too. So. So tell us, um, Royal, like what brought you to, to this point? Like what, you know, how was, was your journey to end here or not end, but to get here, to be here? Um, what would that journey include? Uh, my journey includes a lot, actually. I mean, if I were to take the short route of how it got to this most recent iteration, I would say it was just now I'm actually a grandfather outside of being a parent. And looking at these things over a long event horizon, I always think about where I've been and like what, where we're headed and what this current state is. And, you know, I work in public health. I've worked in mental health. I've worked uh, with at-risk youth. So I'm always looking upstream, but I'm always looking long event horizon. Mm -hmm. And so with the grandson, that's just, he just turned one Tuesday. Oh. It's like, it's like, okay, 20 years from now, what does his world look like? based on mm -hmm. this world we currently live in. And so, and it's really thinking about that and really realizing it's going this way, it's gonna be fun. So, and also <laughs> I'm a big, I, I'm a very large proponent of understanding the power of words and how they act as a guide to what we do. And so like for me, the word power, I think people always use the word power. They talk about strength, they talk about motivation and all these other things. And and at its essence, at its root, power means the ability to define phenomena and make it act in a desired manner. So it's the ability to give something shape, form, function, meaning, and purpose, and then to give it the direction to do it. Okay. And so when, when I look at power in that sense, it's the ability to take your ideas and figure out how to bring people, resource, and everything together to make it really do what you want it to do. And so it sounds kind of hokey. So yeah. in my life, so, so in my life, my, my my best example is this. You know, I was going to PCC about 1990. About that time, different world was on. You had black colleges. Yeah, it's different. All that, all <laughs> yeah. that stuff. I love those shows. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, and it seemed like every school had a black student union. And I was going to PCC. I was about to transfer. I wanted to transfer, but I just had to go to PCC. Stuff happened. But they didn't have a black student union, so. I used to sit in the cafeteria bored. And I'm like, one day, this is boring. Why don't we make a black student union? How? What do we? So I go to an advisor and I figure it out. This is what we need. So I'd go run around, get the same signatures. Uh, my wife, she's my girlfriend, ended up being the secretary. A friend of mine was my vice president. My best friend was a sergeant at arms. We didn't know what we were doing, <laughs> but we had the formula and they gave us the format and the, so and the structure. So that first year, um, we did a community talent show that probably had at the old PCC back in the 90s when they had the big theater type kind of uh, auditorium. So we'd had yeah. probably a couple hundred people there. We had music artists, dancers, all the community kids. We did a couple of dances. At the time, we took a group of Black Ministry Minister Louis Farrakhan in Tacoma. We sponsored some people down here. Uh, we got some themed t-shirts around Black Pride and education. We did all this, but I'm doing it because I, my mind, I won't be here anymore, but if I create it, it's here or somebody can try and improve on it. And the yeah. cool part is it still exists. And it's never, wow. 
never gone away since that year we started. It's wow. been continuous. And, wow. and every few years, I always go back and I'll say, and I'll ask people like, you know, young kids, why are you going? Oh, I just got tired of sitting in the cafeteria board. So they're still coming for those same reasons. Wow. So, but it was, I did that. And, and again, so like myself, me and my friends, my brothers too, my family, we're from the era where we were actually the kids who created the gangs in Portland. So like my friends, my the Woodland Park Blues, that was me and my friends and my friend's garage and his dad and the neighbor's dad and another kicked us out. We went down to the park or the LOPs. That was my little brother, my cousin and them starting. But these are things that the city has allocated hundreds of millions of dollars to address. That started as ideas from a friend's garage, much like Hewlett Packard yeah. or in my mom's basement, just like Facebook. So yeah. the ability to define phenomena and make it act in a desired manner exists if you actually understand we all have that ability. Whoa. So for me, this actually, this, this the idea for the march started, it was myself and my brother, who I, I call him my co-organizer. He's really kind of like, I don't do that shit, bro. But, you know, <laughs> uh, but I'm older, so I can kind of say, yes, you do now. So he's my co-organizer. And so we were sitting here, we were looking at this, and we come from a generation. We come from that generation, from that last really bad period. I lost a cousin in that period. I lost friends in that period. So I understand that epidemic. I was I got shot at in that time period. Mm -hmm. So I and I understand the 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 root of what it is that 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 moment. Yeah. But for these kids, because of technology, social media, uh, gentrification, there are a lot of reasons where there there's a lot less cohesion as they enter such an acute violent state. Mm. So for me, I also understand. And I shall say this, I understand the role of law enforcement mm -hmm. and I'm not against law enforcement because I have a lot of friends that are police officers and I have a lot of, and the funny part is I have a lot of friends that are police officers, the same dudes that used to chase us and we used to test them out. So, but again, <laughs> I think because, because I grew up in a time where law enforcement was, you, your law enforcement was in your community, kind of like community, well, actually community yeah. policing, community that they know you, they know your family. Yeah. So there's a relationship and you guys kind of grow up together. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you're always on the same side, but I, right. that, that proximity breeds understanding. Right. And so knowing a lot of the officers, especially as they elevate and understanding, we've never really had a gun violence problem. What we've always had is the problem that in American society, lethal force is a legitimate way to resolve conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, and again, like I worked in mental health for 20 years, I work with at-risk youth, I work in public health. So I look at violence as a public health issue, as an issue of humanity. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I look at it, what it said, and, and, and especially the reason I chose the word murder, word nerd moment, <laughs> murder. And I take off the word, because uh, they usually say legal or is the, is the unlawful, and I'm really a big proponent all forms of conscious murder outside of self-defense, defense of family, defense of, defense of property. I'm, I'm a second amendment guy. Right. Those are acceptable because they give you a nice constrained box of where this behavior is acceptable. Because what we're talking about is thought manifest as behavior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, it became murder is the unlawful premeditated act of taking a human life for no reason. Hmm. and premeditated 
is the thought and plan. So the unlawful thought and plan of taking a human life for no reason. Who could be against that? Right. Yeah. So, and, and the reason that's so much more important because if you're against gun violence, we get to say, now it's not going to happen because we have three guns for every American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so say we had a magical wand, Magneto could suck all the guns out. <laughs> yeah. What we would still have is knives and machetes. And in tropical countries like Nicaragua, yeah, they have them, but they also see a lot of people get macheted to death. Yeah. Yeah. In Britain, what do they have? They have upticks and stabbings. Yeah. Because in Western culture, the resolution of conflict, whether it be spatial, respect, property, acquisition of power, the use of lethal force is legitimized as acceptable. What we don't look at is once we legitimize that, how do we put the genie back in the bottle? Mm. Mm-hmm. Because we can't. Because yeah. and, I, and, I, and, and my example is this. I remember as a child watching swashbuckler movies mm-hmm. where they were stealing money and getting the girl or cowboy, <laughs> or cowboy and Indian movies where they were protecting or they were killing the Indians because they were savages. But they went out to kill the Indians before they ever attacked the wagon train. Right. Or being told that it was okay to slaughter and drop bombs to stop fascism or communism. Or simply just, hey, we're America, we're stronger, we can do it. Right. But the idea, or how we romanticize examples, like we romanticize Hiroshima as a way of protecting ourselves, except they hadn't made it to our coast and really what happened in the South Pacific was really more about our encroachment and them and colonialism and just, all of that, but yeah. again, we we do all these things, or or if you look at TV now, we do all these things to romanticize the use of lethal force and normalize it as part of our day to day experience. But we want to make it abhorrent when the camera's off, mm-hmm. or we or I always say, my, and, and I use this as a, an example of popular culture. In 1989, the most popular rap song. Rolling Stone said this one time, which makes it kind of special, that <laughs> Fight the Power by Public Enemy was the most important rap song and probably one of the most important songs ever. And it said, and then with that classic line, Elvis was a hero of the most, but he never meant shit to me. He was racist, fuck him and John. So, yeah. but for young black men, who whether you were urban, whether you were going to college, where, wherever you heard that, mm-hmm. You had an identified understanding that your oppressor was the one you needed to have your violence toward. Now, a couple years later, NWA hit the scene with a song called Fuck the Police. Mm-hmm. While a little more street oriented, it was really that same ode to the oppression that Blacks receive in that at a certain point, there's a day of reckoning, kind of right. mixed with Rodney King and all that. Yeah. Interestingly, after that, NWA breaks up. And what happens is there's the Snoop Dogg comes along and I don't have a knock on Snoop, Snoop's pretty cool. But there's a proliferation of music where the identified oppressor and a gun being pointed at him, now these two dudes are pointing at each other Mm -hmm. and it's being monetized in a way that if you rap like this, 
Mm-hmm. You get endorsements and gold chains and bitches and Bentleys yeah. and all this. Yeah. And for a generation, the machine fed the idea of romanticizing self genocide as a legitimate form to get the girl, mm-hmm. get the money. Yeah. To eliminate somebody who disrespects you on such arbitrary things as stepping on your shoes mm-hmm. or not knowing your name. Yeah. Or why you look at me like that. Mm-hmm. So we've created this culture like this for about 30 years. And what we have now, and, and it's success, successively accelerated itself with social media and technology. And, and it's leveled the playing field of ignorance in the sense that whereas you might have needed a bulky camera and all that, you can literally <laughs> hold this right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you have the right camera, you can look like you're in Hollywood mm-hmm. and make something so good, people will be compelled to watch and at the same time could agitate a hundred people. Yeah. And we called it, and that's popular culture. Yeah. Or the machismo culture. And I don't say masculinity, I say the machismo because machismo is more about the egocentric masculinity. Yeah. Where I got a bragging boast or I'm the toughest and all this. Now, yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm not privy to that because I have two things I love. I love to be pe- I love to be petty at times. It's fun. <laughs> and I love to understand that somebody who's not overly big, don't play with me. I don't like my challenges being so. I don't like to be threatened. So, so I can see how any per and, and part of the reason we chose murder. Any person and most people have had that thought. You keep playing with me, I will kill you. <laughs> no me. <laughs> I don't fit. You just don't know. Or right. somebody's done something that you've they pushed you to a point where you feel you want to take me over that line because you don't you think. I can't go there. Yeah. But for most people, we've spent somewhere where somebody has given us a tool that can rein us back in. Or we've been per- or we've been fortunate enough to have an intercessor to give you those three seconds to allow somebody to live. Mm-hmm. We don't do that with our young people. Or as a society, because with all this gun violence, we've used the examples of young black men. And, and I think a lot of that is because of the hyperbole of race and culture and the fact that shooting 45, 50, 60 tons and that makes good TV. Mm-hmm. We don't really, I'll tell you the most interesting experience we've had that really encapsulates why, why I'm focused on black people, but I'm really doing this for the city and the state of Oregon because I really do love being an Oregonian. I take that yeah. on. Two white guys going to Winco on 127. One is about 30, one is about 60. They actually come in a car together because they left the same place. Sometime while in the store, they get in a disagreement. Whatever the conflict be is, the 30-year-old shoots the 60-year-old and kills him. And he subsequently leaves and carjacks a car because probably the 60-year-old had the keys in his pocket. But what we have here is the classic example of, in American culture, we have legitimized lethal force as a conflict resolution tool to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And while it's sensational when kids hold a gun like this and shoot 60 times, what about these two white guys? Or what about right. the uh, white lady who was uh, home in a homeless camp 
and she reported to the police that some guys had done something. She might have seen a murder. I don't know what it was, but something happened. She told them she feared for her life. This guy, knowing that she probably went to the police, comes back and kills her. Mm. Mm. His conflict was her ability to bring harm to him that he instituted. So resolved. Or I'll give you the classic one. Portland police keep gun violence statistics. Homicides, Mm -hmm. shootings, injuries, Mm -hmm. property damage. You know what they don't keep? They don't keep suicide or suicide attempts in gun violence statistics. Interesting. Mm. I didn't know that. Hmm. And because Mm -hmm. one of the things I want to make people aware is suicide is a form of murder. Mm -hmm. And quite often, we, I know from having friends, the reason they gave was not grave enough for the act that they committed. Mm. It could have been okay mm. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been perfect. Mm-hmm. It still would have had some hours to it. Yeah. But we could succeed. So again, as we think about, and, and again, when we march against gun violence, we don't get this granular into the thought process of what leads a person to find this legitimate you mm-hmm. find this as a rational form of problem solving and so for me the issue is how do you challenge that you create the platform to have the conversation to throw it in people's face to make people never really thought about it that way mm-hmm. so with this but also to understand the grave impact i've had friends that i've been stand i've literally had friends that i've went out with and been split up for maybe 10 minutes, come back laying in the street dead. Wow. Uh, and, 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 and I can say I've successively experienced that probably since 88. I don't think I've never went, I've never went from 19, probably 86 till now. I've never went more than one to two years without at least losing two to three people I personally know to gun violence. Wow. Wow. You know. So for me, it's do you not- think that that's a unique that that's a unique experience, or do you think that that is not a unique experience for men of color, or uh, particularly black? Would, men? I would say this. I would say it is and it isn't, and and, and a lot of that has to do with proximity. Mm-hmm. Like me, I have a fam. I have a lot of family and friends who are in what we call gang culture, what we call street culture. So for me. I've been part of that life. And, and like I say, for my, the people in my family, because we're so intertwined with this as one of those first, or for me as somebody from that first generation, not that I'm yeah. out there killing everybody, but from right. that group, of, from that original cohort that laid the foundation. Yeah. And being part, it's almost like you watch your kids grow up and you watch how dysfunctional your family goes over time, but yeah. for all your kids. So you still <laughs> yeah. can't, you can kind of walk away and go move to Arizona, but God damn it, they're still calling. Yeah. You still have to go yeah. check on them. Yeah. So in that sense, like for me, my proximity, I don't see myself as a civilian. I guess that's yeah. the best way I can say it. Like I know friends who are civilian. This is a this is something that they hear about. Yeah. This is something that, oh man, I know somebody on oh, my partner's friend's son yeah. was shot. Bro, this is what I live like orange juice and bacon. Yeah. So and, we and, I'm a civilian. Yeah, you're a civilian. Yeah, I'm a civilian. Um and I, I mean, it to me, it just is like, how do you, as a person, live through all of that? Like, 
you know, the fear, I would assume. Did is fear grapple you or was it something that you just said, you know, I'm I mean, just putting that aside and I got to do what I got to, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Growing up, was there that? I think here's the interesting thing about growing up in Portland. I'm part, at 52, I'm part of that first generation where gangs came here. Mm-hmm. So there was no template or somebody to forecast how to be ahead of me. So, and I'm also the oldest of seven. So I've always embraced and understood when you're at the top of the food chain, you experience stuff pretty much for understanding and perspective to share behind you. Mm. So, and as an oldest, yeah. and, and one of the things my mom drilled in all of us is big ones teach little ones. So even so yeah. my brothers and I, even as we look at our friends and cohorts in the community, we yeah. still have that, you know, that protective thing. My job is to teach, to educate, to make sure we're, we, we're all on the same page. So, so for me, going back to that proximity thing of, I have friends, you might be my hoop friend, or yeah. like I might go hoop with you. I was I was a kid that went to Shakespeare class in high school in the fifth grade. So I like all the nerdy stuff. <laughs> but see, I was a kid that went and did all the nerdy stuff. And then all the bad kids that teased the nerds, those are the people that I lived with. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So so I get both sides. So sometimes the cool part was. I could show, I could be there with the nerdy kids so they can be like, I'm like, hey man, my little buddy, we're cool. Or I'm with those guys and I'll be like, no, he actually knows how to do calculus. So he's not just because he likes to run and beat people up, he's not dumb. <laughs> but it's that thing. So, and so like for me, I've been places where I've seen the stuff people see on TV. I know it's like to hear a hundred rounds going into a building in the cars. I know what it's like to feel the stuff with. I know what it's like to get shot. I know it's like to get stabbed. I know it's like to get hit in the face with a gun. I know what it's like to have somebody hold a gun and about to shoot you and somebody has to wave it away. I know what it's yeah. like to get robbed at gunpoint. And none of that makes me special because I know people who my experiences pale in comparison to theirs. Yeah. So so I see myself on a spectrum. But because I see, but I understand my place, but I also understand the whole spectrum because I I navigate the whole thing, sorry to say. Mm-hmm. But so, and I think what it allows me is like for me, I can see and understand somebody who's never lived that way, why they would understand that. And I can see people over here, why they just, and it's funny. So like the word civilian, so I have a cousin and we were talking the other day, his name is Karaja Cruz. He uh, did um, a program called Journey to Freedom and he does uh, teaching with purpose. He's an uh, educator. And we were talking, and I was like, we were talking with somebody who's really from the South. They don't really see this. And he's talking, well, I believe this and this is about Portland and gangs. I said, hey, check this here, bro. You don't know what the fuck we do. <laughs> you, dropped I, the ner- I, you dropped the nerd there. <laughs> yeah, that shit went out the window. And, and it really what it is is because, and I think, no, I'll just say it like this. Very few times. Do you get someone who comes from that culture, mm-hmm. who's like myself, whose most of the existence is in is in a totally different realm of doing things? Yeah. But I have the ability to take, and I think from working in mental health, once you work, I work in community mental health. And if you work in mental health, you know, one of the best things you can do as being a person, as a non-white person, is to be bilingual. And by that I mean I can talk this shit to y'all, yep. mm-hmm. tell you what the fuck these weirdos are saying. 
Yeah. And then I can, after you tell me that, then I can take a, well, as we did a biopsychosocial yep. assessment, these, how we man, these are how we manage through the different domains. And here's where we have these things. And then, uh, so again, right on the money, right on the money. So, but what it allows is to kind of live in the ability to live in both worlds and understand yeah. why they why they intersect, but they're so incongru incongruent at that intersection. Yeah. And so for me, it's like that. I, 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 I understand I live in a very unique world most people don't see. So I can understand why, like for me, even if I just use my, I just, like when I got shot, people ask me, well, were you nervous? And I was like, well, my little brother, when he was eight, nine, he got shot while sleeping in a drive-by that hit my aunt's house like 50 times, mm -hmm. broke his tibia and all this stuff. Then he kind of came out. My dad got shot in the stomach. He's all right. all right. My mom got shot while she was pregnant and took the gun and beat the lady up. So getting shot in the leg and it doesn't hit anything vital and I'm cool. I really don't have a space to act like I'm really that Charles Bronson kind of guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it gives you a context. Like I said, it gives you a context that while nobody really wants to normalize this, at a certain point, you understand where you are. And, and, and if you find meaning or like for myself, one thing I always tell people, I say with, in relation to that civilian thing is, most people never look at their life as how they engage a combat theater. Mm -hmm. I've done that since I was 17. Mm -hmm. wow. And, wow. And, and part of it is tragic in the sense that as a society, we're there. But part of it is I was part of the evolution and bringing it there and now surviving. And I think one of the things that came out of it is I have a very paramilitary attitude about certain things and how they work and how they and how they navigate. Because I always say the average person lives in this very world where they see the surface of things and they see the calm and they see the ducks. They don't see the ducks feet going crazy because they see mm -hmm. the little gators snapping at them and the mm -hmm. other predators below the murky water. But if you experience that, it's kind of like, you ever seen Blade? Mm -hmm. where, where Blade actually walks around, but you can see that he sees the day walkers and knows all that and sees mm -hmm. what they're really doing. And the average citizen is oblivious. It's, it's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. most people, while they romanticize it, really wouldn't want to have to take that. Yeah. Because that means you have to take the ouches with the ooze. And like I mm -hmm. say, I've, lost, I've had a brother killed. I've had first, second cousins killed. I've had close friends killed. I've actually had young men, I said, hey man, go be careful tonight, they end up dead. I've actually had a young man I was talking to, he walked maybe a half a block away and was shot. And by the time I got there to see what was happening, he was deceased. Mm -hmm. I've had friends, literally. You, he, we're standing here, like we're here. Hey, you go get the beer, I'm finna go get the weed. We'll be back here in 10 minutes. Get <laughs> <laughs> back in 10 minutes, his brother and his mom and his sister are going down because one of my other close friends just killed him. Mm. So, wow. and again, so if you don't want to ask me, how do I manage it? I would say there's a, there's a therapeutic arrogance I hold that I was built for this. Mm -hmm. But there's also a, I have a friend named Phil Shapiro. 
psychiatrist. And he used to always hit me with this thing about, he's, he's Buddhist. And we talk Hindu crap, all kind of weird stuff. And we would always talk about this construct called Maya, where all this is the illusion and the ability is to really orient you and ground yourself to what this is about within the distraction of the illusion. So for me, I always think about what is all this really telling me? What is it compelling me to do? What is the truth is getting me to do? And sometimes it's social, political, sometimes it's humane, and sometimes it's just like, okay, survive and advance. Mm -hmm. And as you advance, what are you doing as a survivor? That kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and even in a space like this, now I'm seeing a generation where my nieces, my nephews, my, my daughter, her generation is experiencing the same violence. And like a lot of people in my age are like, oh my God, I don't know. Is that? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? This was us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I yeah. think that, yeah, and I think the other thing, and then I'll go back to the March, 1993, my cousin was killed. We had been together till like maybe about 5, 10, about 4, 55, 10 in the morning. I get a call at six and we're sitting there. It's like, it's my little cousin. He's like my little brother. So I said, okay, I'll see you in the morning. He, he drives up Williams. I drive up Rodney. We kind of disperse it. About 6.06, I get a call. Hey, you heard what happened to I'm like, no, nah, man, I just left this fool. What are you talking about? He got killed. Now, I'm literally, I just came in the house and lay down and went to sleep. I'm like, it's been an hour or so. But I look at the TV and I see his hat and his glasses on the street. Mm-hmm. So I know it's him. Yeah. So, and I'm like, in the ensuing time, which led up to this, this is that exorbitant amount of shootings in 93 that we had his funeral. Now everybody's out. We're at Woodline Park. They let us drink, smoke, because they don't want the streets filled with one. And I saw Daryl Tukufu or M. Kufu, whatever. He was the Urban League president at the time. And I asked him, I was like, why the fuck y'all wait till y'all scared of, you, scared of us to come talk to us? Hmm. It's on Killingsworth every day on yeah. Alberta. Mm-hmm. But it's not till y'all scared we're going to tear shit up and want to talk to us. I said, but that's okay, because what you let me know is, I'll never be a black man like you. Mm. I'll never be scared of kids like you. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I've been working with at-risk youth and gang, what we call gang-involved youth, probably since, since 1990. Probably, actually, it was before that, 93. I just started in 93. But it was still, these are still my homeboys. When I get off work, I go to the park. I go to my mom's house. I'm still going to see all of them. This is the, my family's community. Still, this is my community, yeah. but these are also, so, but I'm from an era where me and my best friends, literally, yeah, we were that first generation, but one of the things we all did, we all went to each other's graduation. So you would see maybe 15 dudes in red hats or Miami hurricane hats mm-hmm. in, a, in, in the balcony at a graduation. They think it's great. No, we're all here because he's graduated. Yeah. You know, and from that era, I have a friend, he graduated in 89. I graduated, we're at his graduation. I have a little cousin who was going to alternative school. You know, his mom didn't think it was right, but my partner is his big homeboy from the hood. He's like, he told him, if you graduate, I'll be there. He, he told him he's going to get, he did, and he made it there. Now think about it. This black dude from your gang wanted you to graduate, and he mm-hmm. told you he did. So again, and that's why I always tell people, and I've always told in doing my work, it's not the association that matters. It's the behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw his telecast. Being, 
even though they got rid of the gang list, which is kind of symbolic in this sense, being a gang member is not illegal in Portland. Mm -hmm. The only way you are a gang member that's illegal is you commit a crime. Mm -hmm. We yeah. could all, so, but it's, but it, when it, it comes down to behavior and construct. So for me with this march, we're marching against a behavior. Mm -hmm. the behavior is the premeditated act of taking a human life for no good reason. So when yeah. we look at it that way, it's a lot different than gun violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like the young lady in North Portland who was killed by her boyfriend. She drove TriMet. Mm -hmm. Interesting story with her. Her oldest child's father killed my little brother. Wow. Mm. So for me, the challenge was how do I have empathy for this lady when she was with his dude? And, and to a degree, she thought it was cool. She was more concerned about him getting out than justice. But I had to look at it because what she represented. And when I, then I found a little dude and I found out they had some issues in their relationship, conflict. Mm -hmm. The driver of this domestic violence death was conflict. The inability to manage conflict mm -hmm. without thinking the best way to resolve this is to take a human life. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I, I like this too, because you, again, you're just saying the ability, inability to solve conflict and you're not labeling at what, like whose conflict, right? Because I think the narrative has always been like, you know, um, when a, when a police officer shoots an unarmed black man, it, it isn't seen, it's seen as like justified, right? When it really is often their inability to resolve yeah, issue in a way without killing the person. Mm -hmm. right? So, um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to say like, I like that lens of it, you know, of the, again, you're just using the term murder and you're, you're using the term conflict and you're not labeling specifically as which, which groups conflict, which groups murdering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're bringing, you know, you're like, it doesn't you're matter. other different yeah. types of murder, right? This, this primate situation, right? Yeah. A conflict. The thing over at uh, uh, Winco, a conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we look at it that way, again, suicide is conflict. You are at conflict with the emotions yourself. inside yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This conflict gets so unreasonable yeah. that I feel that I don't deserve to live and this will resolve the conflict. Mm. And what do we call that? Irrational. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so for me, and that's really where it is. And so, and because I looked at it that way, I had to ask myself, okay, let's take my mental health lens and put it back to work. If I were to devise how to do this, what would that look? And I looked at it, okay, let's take K through five. We want to start that as a base. So what will we put there? Social emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Let's teach a metacognition. Mm -hmm. How do you think? Why do you think that way? Mm -hmm. What When you have those emotions, what's going on? What are the words that could describe how you feel? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, that's kind of cool, you know? Then I was like, eh, I wonder. And I was, and, 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 and this journey with this uh, march has been incredible because it's been a synergenic episode. Whereas I'm at Mount Tabor, I'm doing my steps, trying to stay in shape so I don't look fat on stage when I go do this thing. <laughs> hey, no body shaming on this podcast. <laughs> we do not I body told you, I told you I have a petty streak that I ain't. <laughs> so 
So and I'm walking and there's this lady, you know, so I come up the last one. I'm huffing and puffing tired. I'm sitting down. And this lady comes up huffing. I don't know this lady from a can of paint in a store in Idaho. But I see her. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, good job. You know, so somehow we start with start with conversation. Somehow we get on the point of the march. And and I tell her my stuff about social emotional intelligence. And she tells me she's a kindergarten teacher in the North Clackamas School District. Because I had said, I want to introduce that component as the base mm-hmm. between K and five. Mm-hmm. She tells me that they have this curriculum right now. I'm like, so you guys really have a, a, a this and you're, you have it? I'm like, whoa, how does it work? She said, it works great. You know, the kids who we can engage it with, it helps them problem solve, it reduces conflict. Now, the ones we don't, we can see the mark difference. So now all this is anecdotal, but hey, I trust her. She's a teacher. Yeah. What she also says is that blows my mind is, I wish we could do more of it. Yeah. They, they want to pressure us. They want to focus on testing. Standardized I'm thinking, testing. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. what fucking test do I care about for a fucking kindergartner? <laughs> right? Don't kick, right? don't hit, don't <laughs> slap your brother when you get home. That's what I fucking care about. Right. So, but it was cool to know that okay, I'm on the right track. And so, so that would be the foundation. So then we go to middle school, six through eight. Conflict resolution. And it's simple. The first one is how do you resolve conflict and how do you identify conflict within yourself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how do you do it at home how do you resolve conflict at home what are your family ways your family resolves conflict are they healthy are they unhealthy here's some tools third year how do you resolve conflict in your social circles so by the time they've gotten to eighth grade they know how to identify this thing with themselves at home with their friends they understand who they are they can say this is why i am how i am so when they get to high school we focus on mediation mediating problems within yourself within your social circle with peers who you might not hang out with how do you mediate for others and restorative justice because some shit's gonna fucking happen and it's not gonna go well but how do you restore some sense of humanity to the space and give a person an opportunity to earn relation again Mm -hmm. so if you so i think so say this we make this as important in k-12 as all the other shit Mm-hmm. Except maybe English. English and reading, I got to keep them first. <laughs> Mathematics, a hot third. <laughs> but, say, but say we keep these there because to me, these are all about critical thinking and the ability to think clearly and articulate thoughts, whether in word or language or writing. So mm-hmm. those taking that. Now I'd add financial literacy because we're dumb as fuck and we're in debt. But yeah. that's a di- yeah, that's a whole different podcast. That's a, that's a different podcast. <laughs> but so if we do these three things, and the reason I find this important and looking at the data, especially for this coming toward the march, over 60% of victims of murder by gun and the perpetrators are between the age of 20 and 34. Hmm. They're, wow. not, they're not kids. Yeah. They're adults who are mm-hmm. never given the tools to resolve conflict without legitimizing murder. Yeah. And you know what's or, interesting too oh, with the ahead. statistic is again, the narrative, unless you dig into the statistics, right? You go and actually do some sort of reach. Like you were saying before, a lot of people just want to stay on the surface. They don't want to know what's underneath. They don't want to see the the little legs pedaling for dear life. So the narrative that is definitely spun, at least from my perspective, is that it's these out of control youth, you know, mm-hmm. and 
um and it has been like it throughout They're my super career, predators right? throughout my career yeah well yeah, yeah. In, the, in the early yeah it was it was super predators and you know the things that i've seen in my career it's always like these out of control youth but yeah you know what you're saying is is and see, and then, and youth, that never relearned how to conflict really. yeah youth yeah. make up youth make up about 30 percent but they're the 30 percent that's most interesting to society mm-hmm it's not interesting mm-hmm. to say. It's interesting and it's fundable to say, we want to save these young people <laughs> from killing each other. Yeah, true. That's cool. I, I appreciate yep. that. But what about the guy who just aged out of your funding source? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Oh, yes. Definitely. And at 20 Definitely. to 34, the and of that 60% who fit in that 20 to 34, 60% of them are involved in the criminal justice system mm-hmm. already while this is going on, which means at some point there has been some kind of conflict, whether it's social, cultural, economic, racial, romantic conflict that led them into the system. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because I have family and friends who have done time, one thing I also know is once you get to prison, they're going to teach you all of those skills. Mm-hmm. They're going to teach you conflict resolution. They're going to teach you social emotional intelligence. They might not teach you mediation, but they'll teach you some. But even in, even in that culture, there's a, there's a culture of discipline that mediation, where it's like, hey, brother, you can't come in here fucking up the way. We, 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 yeah. We're going to sit yeah. y'all down so we can see what the fuck right. is going on. Right. To discipline both of y'all. But yeah. we backload it to the wrong part of the system. Yeah. Because coming from that culture, here's what I do know. There are certain people, y'all want them in jail. I'm going to tell you because they're my homeboys. Y'all want them in jail. <laughs> I mean, I don't want them. So, well, some of them I do want in jail. <laughs> Only because as a human, I do know that they don't care. I, I mean, I don't feel like they're going to come get me. But I wouldn't want them to come get Tori. Yeah. Or yeah. I, wouldn't want, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want their attempts to get somebody else to intervene in your life. Yeah. yeah, you know, you know the, I mean, I think real. I just real quick is is someone once one of the things that we talk about on here is that it, it, we we because because of what we do and what we've been you know our careers both of our careers is that it's not that at least from my, from my perspective again is it's not that I I don't think people should be uh, in a secure placement. Um, I think that that secure placement can look different, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. most definitely. Because most definitely. as you as you've seen, and as we've all seen, is that certain things get taken out of those secure placements that actually will help those mm-hmm. people learn mm-hmm. skills, right? Like, what is the first thing that we always see cut, right? The social emotional programs, all the things that you're talking about, right? Right. Exactly. They're, they're sitting in a cell 23 hours a day with no, with nothing, right? No, yeah. no learning. And so then, like what you're saying, they're they're learning something but they're learning it in a way that's not going to be supportive. Productive for them. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, you know, it's cool. You know, if I got 22 years, what the fuck? It's gonna be yeah. the information, what I'm gonna do with it? Right, yeah. Tell, tell, tell new Sally every three years, Yeah. you know? So, but again, so for me, that's why, I, and, and the challenge has been getting people to really get away from the hyperbole of violence to the real root cause which is a thought process. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think the challenge has, no, I won't even say the challenge because I haven't had a challenge. I will say the interesting thing in this journey has been 
to see the surprise in white people's face when they see a black guy having this conversation with them. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily a sense of, hey, little nigga, you know all that? <laughs> More like, it's so refreshing. We never get uh, a black guy who talks like this. You're so articulate. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, hey, I always tell him, I've been a word nerd a long time. Don't fuck with me. <laughs> but, then, I, but then if you need to switch it up, you can switch it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, I, see, and here's the thing. I always preference with people, and it works most of the time. I, I'm, I'm saying might, wink, wink, because it really means probably going to cuss. Because <laughs> I'll reach a point where eloquence will not really suit what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it works. Sometimes people like my boss has called me for, can't say that in the meeting. <laughs> I didn't really mean to mom that damn Saturday came out on me <laughs> yeah so I mean it really I think one of the things that has been interesting about this process leading up till tomorrow was really the the conversations that have come out about this and the fact that we've that I, I've seen different dialogues oh there's one other aspect to the march and, and, and it's to this whole construct of murder and especially what's going on that's really important is the role because there one of the things in this uptick especially on the young end of the spectrum is um african immigrant youth mm. Mm. yeah mm -hmm. and the fact that they are playing a more intricate role in this thing we call american gang culture mm -hmm. Do you think it's um, something that they heard, you know, something that they've seen, like you said, on TV, they think, you know, now they're here, now they have to. Where they sold the product. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I say. I have a friend, he lives in Memphis now, he's Somali. He's probably about 30 now, gang member here. I had actually met him in prison when I was doing a prison group. I liked him. It was something about his badassness that reminded me of me. So, mm -hmm. plus he's Somali. I have a lot of East African friends, Ethiopian, Eritrean, Somali, Sudanese, Kenyan. So, we had, we had stuff to talk about. And he said one of the most poignant things to me that I always take and 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 hold with something I heard from a, a Eritrean friend of mine. And what this young Somali dude said was, "Man, you know, when I got here, you know, I was Somali." He said, now I'm a nigga. Mm. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. And it make it and, and as I saw him, because he's involved in gang culture, he's lived that life. And for them for to be young, to be black, to be in America, mm -hmm. that's what they do. That's what that is what that is our export to each of to each other internally into the world externally. Mm -hmm. and, and why that was so poignant to me, it's like, damn, bro. I'm sorry. I we shouldn't have did that shit to you. Because <laughs> one of the things he did, and it's funny because I'm I'm older than him enough that it's more like the uncle kind of slash yeah. dad difference. Yeah. So and as he'll and, and and it was funny as he got as he originally got out, we'd have conversations, and we'd talk, and I'd always say, whenever you think, whenever you start to think like this shit, man. I want you to picture three old Somali ladies standing behind you and ask mm -hmm. yourself, they were standing there. Would you do that? Hell no, bro. Okay, so again, whenever you get that urge to be a nigga like us, mm -hmm. think about them three old Somali ladies. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. for him, 
is or and one of the reasons was I met another guy, I know Eritrean guy, and kind of a similar conversation. He talked about he felt bad for African Americans, particularly African American male youth. And I'm like, you know, tell me more. Mm-hmm. And his rationale was as an African immigrant or as just an African, or most of as even as an Eritrean. When his young people are here and they become too Americanized and this culture starts to engulf and infect them, Mm -hmm. they can extract them, send them home, go back to a very more primitive state of just doing what just what you need, not still exposed to Western culture and all that, but let's get you grounded again. Mm -hmm. Let's get your mind right. Mm -hmm. Marry you a nice Ethiopian or Eritrean girl. Become a man where you where where you pass this, then come back. Mm-hmm. He said, "You guys don't have anywhere to go." Mm-hmm. And I thought about mm-hmm. we used to have, you know how everybody used to do send somebody down south, mm-hmm. stay with your country ass family, motherfucking <laughs> <laughs> ass mind right before these people yeah. find you, and you come back in about three years and everybody forgot about you. We used to have speaking that. with the southern girl. <laughs> yeah, you're talking like Yankee. <laughs> but it was our, I think it was in a very nuanced way, our only way to replicate replicate that construct of go back to get your mind right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's as close as we could get spatially to what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. So always take those two spaces and understand once you get here, there's really a tipping point. Where if, so, if we don't make sure y'all can get back, he's going to be one of us. And we don't fix this because what's happening with a lot of these young immigrant youth, and, and I, I hearken it to, remember when Papa Doc was in his thralls and we had the great exodus out of Haiti, late eight, late late 90s, early 2000s mm-hmm. in, in South mm-hmm. Florida. Mm-hmm. And what happened is you had all these Haitian immigrants moving into South Florida who didn't speak English, who came from a third world country that we had kind of poo-pooed on in our media. They were seen as less smart. So the kids, an American kid, and here's one thing about America. This is a sidebar, but it's very important. Because of the English language, at a certain point, black people end up racist like white people. And what I mean by that is this. Because we can't talk to somebody else, and be part of that circle, we put them in the same space as white people do as a threat or other or something to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. And that's how kids end up saying, you little African booty scratchers. <laughs> or haven't or, heard that in a long time. <laughs> or or you little or hey, did you guys starve in a famine? How come your belly's not big? How come you talk so funny? But all these yeah. things, or these kids get bullied. Yeah. But what happened in South Florida as they did that to the Haitians, those 12 and 13 year olds and 10 year olds who were war-torn and battle scarred <laughs> from Papa Doc Duvalier yeah. and real oppression and real state-sanctioned murder right? that they saw, that they saw the, they die other kids now they, we're, that are that are mentally 30 year olds yeah, and 12 year old bodies now we're old enough and we see how you guys operate violence and do all these things mm-hmm. we're going to show you what papa doc taught us mm-hmm. and what happened is they became the dominant aggressive 
force in South Florida when it comes to drugs, street stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. Not fucking with the Haitians because, bro, they also way right. different. Shit. Mm-hmm. Right. And they stick together because they have their own language. They have their own culture. They can always look at us and say, we fought for our freedom and won. All y'all did ever was beg white people to have let y'all sit at a table. Mm-hmm. There's a pride that they have in being fighters and resistors. Yeah. African kids, these African kids come from countries that same kind of culture. Mm-hmm. And what we had, those kids that were in the North and in the numbers, now those first generations of kids that get teased, they're 18, 19, 20, 21. Mm-hmm. And they've been here long enough to be niggas. Mm. But that doesn't mean that this generation ever forgot how to be an African and take mm. that warrior mm-hmm. or what they learned in that. And yeah. so, with, so when you take those elements and bring them all together, you have this special recipe because I can say from the first generation, a lot of the what created gangs was we didn't like people from California imposing and bullying. Mm-hmm. Now, some of these African kids are creating their own gangs as a sanctuary and shelter. Now, the interesting thing is they're way more violent mm-hmm. and way more apt to look at themselves as soldiers. Mm-hmm. You know, And one of the interesting phenomenon that's coming out of it is they're starting to coalesce with other immigrant communities. Because what they are, what they can all coalesce around is we've all been teased or bullied or something because we're not from here. So let's create our own little United Nations coalition that we're not going to fuck with us no more, hmm. which makes logical sense. But it gives a whole global dynamic to this minutia that we call gun and gang violence that probably never existed. And these are the evolutions that happen. And so yeah. for, like with me, I just know Fortunately enough, I have enough African friends and I have enough young friends involved in culture that I've always been able to see these things, but also understanding them in a much larger context, not just in a very face-to-face context. But if I went up to the 14th floor and looked down on this, what would I really be seeing? Mm-hmm. And so, and yeah, I, think- I mean, to me, it sounds like, again, you're getting more at the root uh-huh. rather than, again, staying on the surface, right? Uh-huh. Um, all, all the different issues throughout you know, the years have always been like, let's just treat the surface, kind of like medicine, right? Pharma. Yeah. Let's treat mm-hmm. the symptom and not the. Not let's the, do a lot of symptom yeah. management yeah. and yeah. charging so, up the yazoo. It, it, and, and like you say, like you said earlier, like big funding has gone to symptom management. And mm-hmm. what, what I hear you saying is more of let's look at the roots, what's going on, mm-hmm. what's the common denominator. One of the things that you talked about, all of those different examples is conflict, right? And mm-hmm. inability to resolve conflict. Mm-hmm as well as the formation of these gangs, sets, whatever, you know, they want to label them have been the creation of safety, right? A sense yes. of safety. Like that's mm-hmm. what people were seeking is a sense of safety, mm-hmm. you know, which then if you don't know how to solve conflict, still ha- keep ending up in these murders, right? So- Well, it sounds like they do know how to solve conflict. Mm-hmm. Well, they have but a, it's, the, it's they have a maladaptive. Way to solve the maladaptive conflict. way to solve conflict. Not a supportive way of, so- of solving right. conflict. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and that's really the thing. Those ways of co- murder as a conflict resolver is actually a multiplier. And, and, and that, and I guess that's the, just the basic thing under the surface. This doesn't resolve anything because now you've gone away from doing this heinous thing. And I always say it's like this. Most of these young people, y'all killing for somebody for less than a month worth of rent and mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because yeah. both of y'all is dating the same girl. And now somebody found out, so one of y'all feels like you look stupid, or both of y'all feel like you look stupid. Or it's a slight in front of other people that if they would have said it, nobody was around, you might have had a fight, you might have cussed them out. But now you feel like because of these words, mm. you have to defend your honor. Now, I can understand at certain points, you ain't going to let people go too far with you. Now, yeah. But at the the mean time, mugging is the one that gets me. Oh, yeah. they were mean mugging me on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I just, I had to shoot them. Yeah. So I had to give yeah. away yeah. 120 months of my life for somebody I didn't know because I thought it was mean mugging me and it was really he didn't have his glasses on. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Right. right. For real, though. That's right. Real. Or I look like somebody he know he didn't like. Right. Yeah. Come on yeah. now. But again, yeah. and again, these are the things that we don't put in the context to say no good reason. And again, right. like I say, when we talk about gun violence, we're actually talking about a data point. We are not talking about a human issue. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's real. Yeah. That's right. And I mean, you know, I I think to, often what happens is when that number is disproportionately representative of, you know, BIPOC community, that it's okay to not see it as human. You know, there, there's a piece of that within within our society. And I think what you are bringing is the human side of it right like you're talking about the human element of those numbers like you talk about the numbers because we all know you know we got what are the numbers what does the data mm -hmm. show right mm -hmm. but you're you're showing that and the human side yeah of it. i think and, and, I, and i like the fact because going back to what you said about big pharma and this is how i kind of put law enforcement in with big pharma and when i say law enforcement i'm not talking about individuals i'm talking about the, the system structure. right yeah, in the sense, yeah, in the sense, in the same way that Big Pharma is about illness management, law enforcement in some spaces is about data collection and funding. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we want to. We don't want shit so bad that you tell us we don't deserve our job. Mm -hmm. But we do need to make sure that we don't lose our jobs. And I, and for me, the challenge to that has always been, as long as humans have kids you'll get a new set of dumb fucks to work with <laughs> job security yeah i mean procreation is the best job security for anybody who does human service work <laughs> it's true it's true it's true so and again like i used to always say working working with at-risk youth working with people in, even working with people even with some spi people SPMI, severe prison mental illness. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't want repeat customers. Yeah. I know I'll get a new customer. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't want repeat customers. Yeah. Yeah. And even within, as we look at corrections and all these other things with these young people, yeah, we're going to have some, we're going to have some, get him out. We're going to have a new kid. I guarantee yeah. we're going to have a new kid who's going to want to figure he can run into a wall at 50 miles an hour and it won't. <laughs> right. There will always be someone to serve in human yeah. services. Exactly. So, yeah. So for me, the idea that we have to make incremental changes or we have to hit for, we have to, like, we, why can't we hit a home? Why can't we say, I want to hit a home run? Mm -hmm. I remember I was working somewhere, I won't say. 
And I said, why don't we just say we want to eliminate this altogether? Well, we can't say that because we can't. Well, fuck. Say I say, okay, I'll use gun violence because the statistics is your right there. Mm -hmm. Now, somebody might say, well, it's at 27% of these youth are dying. Well, why, we just want to cut it. Maybe we want to cut it to five. Why not just say we want to eliminate it? Because mm -hmm. if you got a plan that's going to cut reduce it 10%, say you don't hit your mark and you move eight, we're still at 19. Mm. Say mine is zero and I don't hit my mark, but we're at six. Mm. Whose plan do you want to fucking run with? Right. Yeah. She. Yeah. Like. Oh, man. Yeah. Let's let's shoot for the fucking yeah. stars. Eliminate. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. Again. But again, if you define the define phenomenon zero, you're gonna come up with a strategy that yeah. gives you to zero. Yeah. You're gonna say because at a certain point you're gonna have to be. These are all the reasons we don't. Yeah. And again. Now, in the back of my mind, there's always going to be this plus or minus of three that lets me know there's <laughs> going to be that element where they just don't want to be right. And I guess that's the other part. I'm, as someone who's from a, a world and a lifestyle where you see everybody doesn't want to be a good person. Yeah. I know, I know some people, they actually like to rob banks, gangbang, kill, and create mayhem. Now, Honestly, I don't like that. And I appeal to the other side. I use empathetic words like I love you. I do. I love you. Some of these individuals, I truly love them because I know them as humans, but they get up in the morning. That's the world they 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 have assigned themselves to in the in the way they have assigned themselves to the universe. And they're okay with that. Mm -hmm. And I understand in our society, we have trouble with people like that. Again, and I always say. The world, America, this is the greatest problem America has is this. We want to either be 20, 20, we want to actually be part of that 20% that's actually right and doesn't have to think about anything, or that 20% on the other side that's right that doesn't have to think about anything, while 60% of us are in the middle, fucking clueless, hoping we can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> and these two ends are fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you know, you're wrong. Maybe I'm, I'm that's probably because I'm in one of those 60. I'm in the 60 percent. It's balance. I just want balance. That's it. You know, but I think that's it. And, and, and because all of this is difficult and none of this has a very clear, definitive answer. And, and you can be, and I guess that's it. As I've gotten older, the most important thing I think that I think if we want our society to function is the ability for leadership to be based on both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These can be true and yes. they can exist in the same space at the same time. Take it out for of the different binary. People. Yeah, and I guess that's it. And I think is one of the, like I always tell people, every binary, what you really have is two data points on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Now, are you checking for other data points? That's all I really need to know. Because that's where the rest of the narrative is. Yeah. That's where the insight is. That's where the shared experience is. So, you know, so I'm just I'm just kind of a geeky kid that's living a kind of funky life with a lot of violence in it, like <laughs> Steven said, Seagal movie in real woke life. up one day and <laughs> said, you know what, Seagal I'm going to organize a march. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and even with this march, like I said, it was just like, 
if I don't, who's going to do it? Or, and I think just as much as I wonder what's, and I think that was it. I just wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, we were listening that's gonna, to. That's, that's going to be my question because yeah. you know this. The, people are going to be hearing this after the march. So, what do you have hoped happened at that march? Right. Let's if put I, ourselves into the future here. Okay. If I were to succinctly, and, okay. So I always do this exercise with people when I talk about them about what they hope they did and what you want to see. So I'm going to pretend we're in this big bubble room, hmm. and the whole room is this big plasma, like water plasma. Uh, Tom Cruise trying to psychedelic movie. Where's <laughs> Minority million, Port? Yeah, <laughs> where's two million pixels per square inch? Is this? <laughs> I were to have my way, I would see about two thousand, maybe twenty two hundred and seventeen people in Peninsula Park. All there, I'd see like about five hundred black men up front, few family members, couple of family members. I'm like, what? You here? Oh my god! <laughs> about about another three, four hundred black women, kids, all that. Brown people, Latino people over here, few Asians, my South Pacific Island crew, all my white people are all spread around. Got a few old white people that I like, so they said, <laughs> shout out to the old white people. Shout out to the old white people. Because I've had a whole lot of old white people saying, I'm going to be there. I got a friend named Don Dupay. I call, my wife calls him Dirty Harry. He used to be a Portland police officer in the 70s and 60s. He's like, he is like the epitome of old white cop. <laughs> I love this so much because he just keeps it real. And he's just, and he, and he has a life experience that's, that's so vivid and so varied. And so he just presents us like Dirty Harry. <laughs> but when you talk to him, you find out he is Dirty Harry with a little bit of soul. Maybe a bowl of bomb hit too, but it's cool. But then I think that's it for me. So I want to see all a bunch of old white people. I want to see us walking from Peninsula Park, going out by the tennis courts on commercial, taking over the whole street, seeing black people leading, providing security, providing street police patrol. Then I got the police on the second side class and they actually sit where I told them, <laughs> you know, do all this. We go all the way down, music blaring, people doing bullhorn shit, playing music. I ain't figured out the playlist yet, but we'll figure that out. <laughs> We get over to then we get over to Woodlawn. Everybody gathers and we talk about solutions. We talk about next steps. And for me, and then I introduce a few people, and we all hang out. And all these people who've been talking to me and telling me they want to meet me, we say hi. And I give them elbows. I got both my shots. Hey, there's a sidebar. Here's a sidebar because nobody on this call is totally white. You know the funnest thing I do? So on, so I play this game called Mudge Ball. We got this 16-ounce softball to get softness. But to stay in shape, I was doing my winner's walk. So I have a thing, like, my own shit, winner's circle. <laughs> so I have my own thing. So I do a thing called a winner's walk. And within the walk, I would just go to um, Mac Club downtown mm-hmm. and walk up the hill. I've been doing it since I was in high school. But the thing was, I started bringing people along and doing it. And it was pretty cool. So I do this winner's walk. And I do all these things. And so now I'm in a space where I have to do these things to promote myself, to get people to do stuff. So I get these people, I tell them about the winner's walk. We're all there. So I get all you people to do this and come join me. And then we just go out and change the world. And -hmm. change the world might be some people. So actually, now that that was kind of fanciful, a more pragmatic way to look at it, using an ecological model, I like, again, I like to bring my nerd world into my other worlds. 
starting with this most center concentric circle, really getting people to ask themselves, how do I consume vitamins? Mm. Mm. Kind of like when you go on, when you go to a dietitian, they, you know, what do you consume? How do you consume it? What are you consuming times? Yeah. How do you consume violence as an individual? Mm-hmm. How does your family consume violence? How do you share violence? Like me and my brother, my brothers, we're 11 months apart. He's, he's petty like me because he's my little brother. We watch all these little violent things, people getting beat up on World Star. You know, like when you're World Star. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We're TikTok now. Yeah. yeah. That, that shit beats my soul. But also, <laughs> also I have to understand, and, and, and it, part of it is, but I understand I, I come from a combat theater culture. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that's desensitized to it. There's a part of me that's drawn to it because the shit I like. And there's a part of me that's always going, man, this shit is kind of fucked up. But rewind that. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and, and it's not a good or a bad, yeah. but it's an is that we should always evaluate. Yeah. So no, yeah, definitely. I think, and, and, and like you just said, is it, again, like it's not a good or a bad, it's a both and. It's, it's mm-hmm. what we all do in some way, in some yeah. form or fashion, we consume some form of violence. Yeah. So as we take that, how do we do it in our community? What do we find is acceptable ways that we consume? What are these ways culturally that, that we've that we've normalized violence or even in our institutions we have there's a certain violence that comes in the medical community and the way people are treated and not treated of course yeah. we can always look at law enforcement we could as as we know there's a certain violence in how the how the mental health community is treated mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how we make fun of it how we laugh at it mm-hmm. how we can say how we can see people with mental illness and say ah and we can almost dehumanize them to the point that we can empathize with their humanity be take, being taken away. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, for sure. But again, because and once we start to do that, then we start to say, oh, shit, does somebody else know I'm this fucked up? <laughs> How do I start to hide? How do I start to clean up? Or just importantly, imagine we're having these evaluative discussions as a family while our yeah. children are concurrently learning restorative justice mm-hmm. or how to mediate conflict. Or you got a seven-year-old who's trying to get mom to help her with her social, emotional homework and is going like, mom, see, you should use this one because you fucking flip out all the time on ain't you like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, true. Yeah, I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But again, because I, and I, I don't want people to make the assumption that there has to be a programmatic push for you to change your yeah. attitude about murder or how we consume violence, or how we consume and and become adapted, habilitating lethal force. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so for me, it's always that really piece. So if anyone could walk away, I would say for me, that would be the biggest walk away mm-hmm. because that's pretty much free. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so now, now if you want to do more beyond that, I, I, I want to use this as a platform for whether it's an institution or individuals who need some money to do. Like I have a friend named uh, Nyanga, and he 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 combines conflict resolution and boxing. Mm-hmm. So we can use the physical time with boys and young men and young women to get use that physical energy to get it out. Yeah. But also, while I got you doing something instructive and disciplined and all that, ask 
afterwards. Yeah. All right, sit down. We can talk about it. Yeah. We can use it. So again, and again, now it might not work for everyone. Or somebody might think that's bullshit. Right. Somebody might be really, oh, that's still more violence. I'm anti everything. Anything. <laughs> I'm anti boxing gloves. Are those synthetic or oh, those leather? You killed a, you killed an animal. They hit a person in the face. Oh my God. You're just like Ted Wheeler. You're just like Tucker Carlson. Cut the crap. That's at that 20%, right? Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, and it's funny. I rail against the 20%. And I think it's because, and, and again, like me, I always tell people, people I say, you're so good. I've been called a progressive more times than I have care to think about. And it's always funny because I'm like, no, I'm actually a Republican. I kind of live on the 1956 Eisenhower platform. <laughs> kind of, uh, I updated it for Little George in the 2000 platform, mainly because of his stances on globalism, and environmental rights. So, but also, and, and I think because Herbert Hubert said we should be conservative about finance, moderate about so about war, and liberal about people. Huh. Mm -hmm. Better than Bill fucking Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, and again, it's yeah. that both end. Yeah, but, exactly. But again, so, you know, so for me, it's always bringing those complexities because I'll tell you one thing, this is crazy. This is crazy. And I've been, and I've been bemoaning this in my head for like 17 hours. I watched an incident yesterday that gave me a whole new respect for Tucker Cross and you said gave has, you a whole new respect for him Whoa. Yeah, I, and the only respect I had earlier was he was sharp enough to get a fucking 13 million dumb fucks to listen every day <laughs> okay. you gotta respect anybody okay I mean, no. on that point, like, that, like he ain't dumb when it comes to I'm gonna what? make money right yeah. like, now that I can respect what? that but he got, he's stupid. got help it ain't, it ain't all him I respect how he manipulates this platform to do what he does. But what happened was at the Ted Wheeler's press conference yesterday about gun violence, where I had to, I actually had to go to a press conference that the mayor had to let people know, I don't, I'm not doing what he's doing. Because what had happened is I had went to him and said, would you support, you know, I'm getting this move. To, yeah. It's going to be led by the black community. Would you support? He's like, yeah, I support that the community's doing that, you know, that you guys are taking this year. I didn't ask for no money. I didn't you ask did him not to show for up. any, I bet. Mm, I didn't ask him to show up. None of that. I just like, you know, in the sense that this is what we're doing. If you want to get behind yeah. it and support it, cool. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I because the people I know within city who I would need to talk to, I know them by phone, name and phone number, so I really didn't need to talk to him. I just wanted to let him know so he could understand black communities doing something. Right. You can look good and say you support it, or you know, I you know me, I'll go say you said you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, so we're at the press conference. So, but here's the cold part. So I'm getting all these calls from people, all the little like 27 to 34 protesters who are anti everything. <laughs> so are you doing this with Wheeler? Is this? Somebody said, is this city approved? What the fuck? I need the city to approve some shit I'm doing for. You don't know yeah. me. Yeah. So what's happening is, unbeknownst to me, because while I'm doing all these press things and really promoting, I'm not looking at any of this stuff. I'm not yeah. looking at the news clips. And that, but the city is framing a press conference that they had yesterday. Actually, they're supposed to have a press conference today. They moved it up. But they're framing what they're doing like we're working together. Oh, interesting. So I had to go, no, stop. 
So Emma so, time. So I go down, you know, because I'm going to the press conference because I really hadn't planned on going, but now I have to go, not because I want to go, but because I have to go live and tell the city of Portland I'm not with them. <laughs> so I go and I thank the mayor for being supportive of what we're doing. Right. Somehow every protester in Portland, you said thank you to Ted Wheeler. Wow. <laughs> what the fuck? So if Ted Wheeler would have fucking opened the door for me and I said thank you, would I be like, he said he supports the fact that black men are taking the initiative to take the lead on something in our community. Thank you. Thank you for supporting and understanding. We're going to take the lead. Yeah. Now he's doing, what the fuck do I care? Where are you in this press? Look, so, okay, let me explain it to you. I Because in a press conference, because they, they tried to say they were sponsoring the march. The city tried to. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. By definition, to sponsor means to give someone something in order for them to advertise for you. Mm-hmm. The fuck am I advertising for the city for? Stupid. No, I'm advertising for the black community. We are putting this on to show that we can engage in self-determination in situations that impact us. Now, if you want to invest, which is to look at my metrics and desired outcomes and provide resource, finance, or backing, I'll take that Mm -hmm. because then you're still going to do what the fuck I tell you. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I say it like this, last year when all the protests were starting, I was getting real tired white people were trying to tell black people how to protest and saying some shit. I was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, wrote a, I wrote a paper and, and it was about how to protest. And one of the things I wrote is in order for black protests or issue protests around black issues to happen, all leadership has to be black. Mm-hmm. And it has to come in the form of strategy, organization, operation, logistics, security, media, message, all that. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to be a white, I don't use the white ally. I don't want you to be my white ally. I want you to be my employee. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to work for me and mine, go do this. So as a, within this, um, I talked to Chuck Lavelle, who's chief of police, and because Chuck's a black. Mm-hmm. I've known him for about 20 years. And see, I can call him because he's in my phone. Connecting me with traffic. So now traffic's working with me. To provide security because if something because if I get my dream amount of people, right. I don't need some old white lady falling down or some bad experience <laughs> happening and her getting scared because she ain't gonna say to police that fucking right. Royal Harris. Yep. <laughs> yeah, put yep. me in harm's way. No, 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 grandma, no, nah, grandma <laughs> Agnes, we ain't getting you, you ain't getting hurt, baby. So, but it really is that. So, for me, so it's the control of the narrative because if not, we don't have the, we. Until and again, going back to power. If I don't control all of those things, I I acquiesce my ability to define phenomena and make it act in the desired manner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't get that from me. So I came, I said my piece, went outside, argued about three or four people who thought I was stupid. But somehow these fucking drummers came outside. Now my grandma's <laughs> birthday party is dead. My grandma turned a hundred. What? Oh whoa! She turned a hundred. Wow. Let's say, on the 19th. So wow. Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. So we're having our birthday party. These fuck nards are outside banging these dumbass drums, talking because you're protesting Wheeler, having a press conference. You don't realize it's about 8,000 people. If you added them up, you'd probably have about, we'd be back in fucking 
1523 BC, they so old. And you want to make all this fucking noise? So now everybody in my family, we, we're all ready to turn this into a bad version of a Tyler period. <laughs> and these white, and some white ladies we're doing this for you. Bitch, if you don't get the fuck out of here with that bullshit before I beat your ass, you're doing this for me? For my yeah. So somehow something happened because they ended up giving my grandma some money apologizing. They gave her some reparations. <laughs> but, but I'm just sitting there and I'm listening to some of these young black dudes, usually between 27 and about 34, 35, talking about the police need to be abolished. We need to get... So let me ask you this. Somebody breaking your goddamn house. What mm -hmm. infrastructure do you have to address that right now? Mm -hmm. Well, we got to build it. You was out here with this George Floyd shit last year. Yeah. So really what it is, is you still don't have a fucking plan. Now, because I have a friend who is a chief of police, and I have another friend who used to be assistant chief of police, and I understand the 21st century policing thing put out by the nation, by Barack Obama and those guys, and also I understand how you can create your own security zone. I understand how you could do it, but I also understand in a, a displaced community how it's logistically impossible by community of affinity to do that. We have, and again, in a study of 36,000 Black people, if all the Black people left, the white people would still be about 120, 629,000. Everybody else still be 629, and they're going to need the police. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are you saying? Oh, fuck the police. Okay, you know what? Between these fucking weird white people with these goddamn things out here looking like a goth motherfucking Southern marching band, <laughs> you fucking fuck Nars with no plans and all this other hysteria. You know what? I see why Tucker Carlson thinks Portlandia is real. And I'm just sitting here like, you know what? And I'm literally, I'm driving home. And I'm like, this cannot be true. This can then I'm like, this is what's going into the airwaves. But this is this is the level of intellectual discourse on our roles as citizens. And I think that's what flips me out. And even as I'll bring it back to this March on Murder, as someone who reads a lot, writes a lot, I understand my my obligation as a citizen if I want to live in a society or a city that I want is to exercise my time and talent as a citizen to mobilize others so that we can have what we want. And so with me, again, that's why this isn't about racism. And again, some issues that come along with murder aren't things that I readily touch or that really, and I'll say it, they don't really matter to me because they're not part of my daily wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. But I understand as a citizen, who started a process that covers the whole spectrum, my obligation is to be a good steward to everyone. Like, honestly, stuff around sexual orientation, sexual identity, sex, those aren't things that are in my day-to-day. -day. But I know people who that is. And I also know Black people who, besides being Black, have the double indemnity of society looking at them through both of those lenses negatively. Mm -hmm. Now, as a straight parent, black male who usually doesn't talk about these things one of the things i can do with my platform is bring that to the attention because most people who would see me was like oh, no no let's talk about this shit y'all don't like mm -hmm. what the fuck are you talking about that for because they are the victims 
even more disproportionately as a subset of our culture, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. whether white or black, mm -hmm. who die for no fucking good reason, mm -hmm. whose lives are taken for no fucking good reason. Yeah. yeah. You know, and again, yeah. as a black man, if I can if I can use my platform for that, I literally might be the only guy who ever does that. Why would I pass up that opportunity as a citizen? Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like um, from me, from my point of view, like one of the things that it's, it's it, like you said, it, it, to me, it's almost like you're calling, like, I mean, going back to PCC and you're sitting in the cafeteria going, you know, I, I gotta, mm -hmm. I gotta I'm bored, right? Like <laughs> bored. You're, yeah. you're, 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 like you said, your duty is a citizen. And, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know what tomorrow will bring or actually it would be after this when everybody, yeah. but I hope that it's, I hope that it's, uh, that it's what you want. Right. You know, like, you I say like, we're not going to, um, reduce it by, we're going to shoot for the stars. So I hope yeah. it is that right. hundred percent. 100 percent for 100 percent of, of what you want from from it and uh yeah i think my biggest thing is I, I heard a quote a long time ago that that the older i get the more i understand and the more urgent it becomes is the wise person understands they plant trees that they'll never enjoy the shade of mm -hmm. So yeah, I and I think that brings yeah. it back to what you were saying in the beginning is you have yeah. grandchildren now, right? So mm -hmm. you you were the beginning of what I mean, what we what we see and you you were there, you've been there, you've seen it and now you're seeing your grandchildren and like you're saying you want it to be different for them. So um and you're doing like you're doing something about it. <laughs> so there's a lot of people that would just sit and talk or put the sign in their yard and you know yeah they're pretty they're pretty lame though they're pretty lame. <laughs> like you know they're pretty i mean and i don't say they're lame as in they don't have the ability it's just for me the sign is cool but at the same time it's kind of safe like i mean just in the last week and and, and i knew i would get it but i've been called more you fucking niggers or you fucking sell out or oh. all these things and it's kind of mm -hmm. like yeah <laughs> <laughs> you, you you're getting reactions people are listening yeah and, I, and and again because i'm and again i'm putting your orthodoxy in conflict with my ideas yeah let's mediate yeah. them let's mediate your position and my position and find a common interest mm -hmm. or we can agree to disagree but we both leave in form. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, the other, the other thing is you're doing it um, out of experience too. You know, you, you're, you have, that's an expertise, right? You mm -hmm. can go on it because you actually had the experience. And I think that that's sometimes what's missing in things like this is like you said earlier, you know, it has to be led by the community that is putting it on. Mm -hmm. and I, and, yeah. And I think uh, that's it. One of the things that's been happening in the community, I mean, one yeah. of the things that's happening with community is we always talk about we want to go to community and we want to get people with lived experience. Lived experience. You can live on a street where every kind of thing happens and you just watch it out the window. Mm -hmm. That's That can be lived experience. Mm -hmm. 
get out there on that street and make it happen. Take the wounds, get the successes, have the ups and downs and survive to do something with it. That's an expertise. Mm-hmm. And I think too often in our society, and I think it's also institutionally that way. If I get somebody with experience, that means they're, they're somebody who's seen it, but they're not invested enough that I need to worry about. When you get that person with expertise, that's that transformational individual that's going to change some shit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, no, no. I don't know this tertiary shit. I actually know how this shit works. Mm-hmm. You know, so like with me, and it's funny because I go into these conversations and I'll sit there and I'll listen. And people say, oh, well, you're here about gang. No, let's talk about public health. Oh, let's talk about the eco. Let's, let's talk about Plato and the Republic and how that relates to all this. And people, whoa. Yeah, I'm here to shake shit up. Kind of in a, in a very embracing way. And, and when I was younger, I used to just like shake shit up and kick people in the ass because what you gonna do? <laughs> but now it's like I shake shit up and kick people in the ass. And it's like, okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's really build something, you know? And like, so this whole week has been pretty cool. Well, actually this last month, because I guess between the idea in this room that I'm in right now, and tomorrow has been about 30 days wow and so and i guess those are the things like for me and and if anything and even like what you guys do in your show because your show is really an exhibition in power because you guys have taken the time to define the phenomenon you want to express and make it act in a desired manner so and again so and again and i'm sure say it might have been over a cup of coffee. It might have been over. It was over pizza. It was over pizza. It was over pizza. And again, like I said, me and my brother, we're in the, we're in the basement watching. So again, yeah, it, it, great things usually start out of re- relatively benign circumstances. Yeah. 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 But it's those people who say, I think I can really define phenomena and make it act in a desired manner and people will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you find out they do. Because again, we're all human and I think there's certain threads. And, we, and also when we see that person who takes that step and is courageous, kind of pumps us up, especially if we know them. Cause you almost, yeah. you almost feel like, well, they're not gonna let me fucking fuck. You know, I mean? and it's great. You know how many meetings, funny story. I had a lady, I used to be on the uh, board of directors of family care insurance. And I used to run their community advisory council. And I had a young lady, she was a mother. She had a child with a disability. She was Latina. She was, she was an immigrant. English wasn't perfect, but she had the lived expertise of raising a child and navigating the complexities of the insurance system. One time we had somebody come in and I could see she's listening to this person and she's sitting there like, you know, I can even see somebody like, this shit ain't right. Yeah. I asked her, I'm like, something wrong? And she's like, what is it? I said, so, so the person is still there. I said, do you feel like this is some BS? She's like, <laughs> she's looking like, she's like, you know, hey, hey, I'm just here. I'm just here. I don't need to get these white people mad at me. I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> I don't care about making white people mad. So I'm like, no, you really BS? I said, if you if we were some, if they weren't here, would you say this is some BS? <laughs> Look at me like I'll say, yeah. I said, well, you know what? I'm gonna let you know this sounds like some bullshit to me too. <laughs> then she went, yeah, it really is. <laughs> and then she just gave a line item of why their strategy was incompatible with the realities parents face. Mm. 
Yeah. And it all, so for me, if it took me to say bullshit out loud in a room full of white people on the 14th floor for the needs of immigrant kids whose mm-hmm. parents are out here fighting for them, mm-hmm. hey, thank you, Cousin Saturday. Cousin <laughs> Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, tomorrow's Saturday. Hopefully, I mean, there might be some cussing tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I will, all in a good way. It will be good. In a positive will, way. It will be positive, but it's Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> I use my cuss word Saturday. <laughs> uh, but for real, man, I, I, you know, I hope this time tomorrow it, you're just walking on cloud nine because it was a hundred percent success. It leads to the next step and the next step. And um, because I think, yeah, I think what you're doing here is awesome. You know? Yeah, for sure. It, and it's Thank much you. needed, right? It's yeah. much needed. Um, so yeah, I not mean, just yeah, not just in Portland, but in this whole country and in the this blue marble that we all see. You know, it's the seed being planted, and and uh, like you said, uh, for trees that you're not going to see. You know, um, but hey, I want to say uh, thanks for coming. Thanks, well, thanks for being here. Thanks yeah. for being on the Zoom. Thanks for being on thanks the podcast. For me. This was like the um, most awesome thing I've done this we're week. Gonna, we're gonna have to do a follow up, you know, afterwards and uh, see how it goes and what the next thing is. And um, you know, can you imagine? I'm I, as I'm listening to you, Ro. We we also had we also have another guest. Uh, we call him the professor. And I'm like, imagine Royal and the professor. Well, I already thought about it at the beginning, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we all started talking. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, we got to get the professor on here. Of course, then me and Sylvia. They were just going to be like, audience members <laughs> at that point. Because you yeah. guys would be like, boom, 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 boom. You know? Yeah. But it yeah. Would be cool. He, it would he be loves cool. language, too. He's an English major. So Sweet. words are his thing, too. Words so, are life. Yeah. So, so we're gonna we're gonna have to get you back on if you if you're okay with that and oh most definitely this was awesome stuff. you ladies are incredible yeah thank you thank uh, you thanks for what you're doing thanks for being here and until next time nos vemos adios all right we're good okay we're Daisy Daisy what's your safe word what's your safe word Daisy.